Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Started last week, a sermon series entitled The Kingdom Around the Corner. So if you were with us, uh, if you weren't with us last week, especially if you're watching online, you can go to citychapelchurch.com, listen to the podcast from last Sunday. And um, if you hear any going on, that's because I had a headset last Sunday. So my, my microphone was a little bit close to my face every now and then. Uh, but I didn't, have the, I didn't have the control where I could move it around like this. But uh, I preached on the, the mighty, miraculous, and magnetic kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus came preaching and his, he had a one sentence sermon and he said, man, he said, repent, that's the first part, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And scripture teaches us throughout Matthew chapter 4, actually there's a couple of times when, when, when it tells us that, that that was the gospel that Jesus preached. The gospel that Jesus preached was the gospel of the kingdom. And so this, this kingdom idea is, is not usually what we think of when we think of the gospel. We think of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But really the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the atonement, uh, is a part of this, this kingdom narrative. And so we really need to start thinking of even the atonement, the empty grave, the resurrection Sunday that we're about to celebrate is really, it's a part of what happens when this kingdom comes to town, when this kingdom comes around the corner, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, by the way, is the place that you and I were created to live in. We were created for the kingdom of God. And uh, you'll never truly be happy until you enter into the kingdom of God. And so uh, this sermon series is really to help get you ready and get you anxious and, 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 and get you understanding what God has for you, this place called the kingdom. And a part of this sermon series are the small groups that are going on throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We got small groups happening every single day, and they're all the same groups going over the same material. We're watching a 20-minute video from Bob Hamp about the kingdom of God. And then we're, then we're discussing the contents of that video. And so today's sermon is kind of the beginning. And then if you really want to get the rest of the sermon, go to citychapelchurch.com, find the small group that you want to go to, and attend a small group. How many of you actually went to a small group this week? You're in, in the room. Nice, nice. Okay, so was it, was it helpful to you? Was it, was it a blessing to you? Was it... Good, okay. Yeah, we had 16 people packed into Romeo and Jackie's living room, 16 adults, and like, I don't know, 20 kids back in the back room. Uh, and we were, we were crammed in there, and it really is helpful, and I, I'm pushing it a lot because it's a big part of my sermon. So last week I preached on the kingdom of heaven uh, is at hand. Well, the other part of that passage is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I didn't even get to get to the repent part because I, I take a long time preaching. Uh, like, I, as you can tell, it takes me a while just to get spit anything out. So uh, I only got the kingdom part and not the repent part. Well, in small group, we dealt with the repent part because repentance is how we enter into, how we begin to enter into that kingdom. And so, man, it's, 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 there's, there's, there's vital stuff going on in these small groups, and I want you to be a part of that. Uh, but meanwhile, today, I want to I start on this other idea idea of the kingdom. I want to look deeper into the kingdom, and I want to look at three things. Number one, the source, uh, and number two, the shame, and number three, the solution. So I want to talk about the source, the shame, and the solution. So we got all S's. Last week it was all M's. This week it's all S's. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's just how I roll. The source, the reason why you want to be in the kingdom of God. Okay, so I'm still, I'm still plugging this kingdom thing because it's so important that I want to paint for you a, a better picture of why you want to be in the kingdom of God. Number one is because in the kingdom of God, you find your source of life. You find your source. Now, last week we read from Romans 14 that says the kingdom is not meat or drink. Like it's not, it's not things that you do or don't do. The kingdom of heaven is joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Uh, well, it is the source of joy. It is the source of peace and the source of righteousness. And it is the source. It's the very source of life. If we look back at Genesis chapter 2, we see really a glimpse 
of the kingdom that God has for us. Not for us like sometime in the future necessarily, but for us right here and right now. And we see this because this is the very beginning. Genesis 1 and 2 is where God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything. He created Adam and Eve, and and, and they were living in the kingdom of God. We see, uh, I'm, I'm going to pull up, I'm going to pull up my Bible here. Will they get that on the screen? I want to look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 that says, Then the Lord God uh, formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The only thing that made Adam different from the lump of clay that he was before was the breath of God. God took this, this bunch of dirt and he piled it all together, but it was still dirt. But when God breathed into his nostrils, suddenly uh, he became a human being. So the be what made Adam, Adam was God. And what makes you, you is God. And you are not you until you are breathing in the breath of God. God is the life source of all humanity. Jesus came teaching, and he talked about a parable, and, he, said he, and he, he talked about death in this way. He said, the Spirit returns to the God who gave it. The Spirit returns to the God who gave it, because your spirit is even not your own. You're, you're, you're borrowing. Even your spirit is, is a, it's, it's the breath of God that's been placed inside of you and me. And so God makes us us. And until you find God, until you connect with God, you are not the you that you were created to be, which is why you got to plug into the kingdom, because the kingdom is the life source of not just you and me, but all humanity. So God breathes into Adam, and Adam becomes a living being. And, 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 and then it says that God had planted a garden in the east in a place called Eden. Scripture just calls it Eden. And there he put the man that he had formed. This is interesting to me. God had planted a garden, meaning before he created man, he created a place for man. That God created a garden, planted a garden, and he didn't just make it, but he named it. Like sometimes I think God just does things that are, that are not necessary. I mean, how many gardens were there at the time? Uh, just one. Like, you know, the angels weren't like, so, Lord, which garden are we going to meet up in this week? No, it's just one. There's just one garden. Just, we just call it the garden. And that's what we usually refer to it as in church. We just call it the garden because it's, you know, the only garden literally on the entire planet. Like Google Maps wasn't wondering the, the, the specific address for this particular garden. There was nobody asking for directions. So normally like you name things to distinguish them from other things, right? So, so, so like you got to know that Whataburger is not Burger King, even though they both have burgers in the name. Whata is a big difference than Burger King. You know what I mean? Like, like those W's make a huge difference. If you accidentally go to Burger King when you think you're going to Whataburger, you're going to be in for some disappointment, a world of disappointment you know what I'm saying like, like I mean you know Papa John's is called Papa John's because it's so much better than Little Caesars you don't want to accidentally order Little Caesars when you actually meant to get Papa John's you know so we name stuff to distinguish stuff from other stuff but in a world where there was no other stuff God named it God named it. It's crazy to me that before Adam was even made, like when Adam first woke up to existence, rubbed the dirt, I guess, out of the middle of his eyes, the sleep from his eyes, got some of the sand out of his eyes. He was in the manifest presence of a sovereign, loving, powerful God who just breathed into him. I don't know if he saw God's face or what, but he's in the middle of this presence. And the first thing this presence does is says to him, I have a place for you. Which is interesting because that's exactly the message that Jesus came preaching. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven, this place that you were created for and designed to be in is coming near you. That before God even made you, he had a place for you. That he first made a place for the man before he made the man. And the very first thing God did after breathing life into him when Adam comes to full consciousness is God says, let me take you to this place. And he tells him what the place is named. 
It's named Eden, and the word Eden means delight or pleasure. And this may seem kind of weird to you who grew up in church and you were told that God wants you to like get rid of all of your fun. God wants you to, 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 to basically the kingdom of God is that boring place where there is no fun. You give up all of your, all the stuff that makes you happy, all the stuff that, 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 that makes you excited. You have to give all that up and then, you know, start doing everything you should do. Like the kingdom of heaven is all gray and it's just white clouds everywhere. And you just, you just sit there and you, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's like the version of church that many of us grew up in. Right? Like, 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 like heaven is just one really long Bethel concert that just never ends. It just never ends. It's like, it's like Hillsong is there, all the generations of Hillsong, Bethel, all the generations of Bethel. Uh, Vineyard probably slips in there somehow. Uh, some of you older saints know what I'm talking about, Vineyard. Mar the Maranatha singers, right? I stand, I stand in awe of you. And I couldn't figure out if they were saying all of you or awe of you. I mean, where are we standing exactly? But, 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 but like worship is, is like permeating heaven in our mind, and, and that's all you do in, in heaven. In fact, even in church services, like I've had people say, well, if you don't like this, you're not going to like heaven because it's all we're going to do. It's like, oh, man. First off, the worship team's a little better than yours in heaven. Secondly, there's no preaching in heaven. Thirdly, there's no rows of chairs with people sitting in long worship services. In the book of Revelation, you don't see any of that. You have, one, I think, one instance where there's actual singing happening. And the rest of the time, there's not a whole lot of description about what people are doing. The kingdom of God, the place of pleasure that God created, was not like it was Sunday all day, every day, where you sit in church all day, every day. The kingdom of God was a place of pleasure. It was a place of delight. My pastor used to say it's thrills, chills, Romance and adventure, following God is, is, is literally the best of both worlds. God created all the good stuff. All the good stuff was God's ideas. All the good stuff in this world was God's idea. God invented it. He came up with it. And now that God is saying, I've prepared a place for you. I've prepared a place of delight, a place of pleasure. And we see what happens when he does that. God plants in the middle of the garden all kinds of trees, it says. All kinds of trees. We don't know all the kinds of trees, but we do know two of them. They're pleasing to the eye and good for food. Pleasing to the eye and good for food. We're going to get into that in the small group this week. What, is, what, what does that mean that it was pleasing for the eye? Well, it was good for food. And then in the middle of that garden, there were these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is a place that God created them. And then down in verse 25, it says that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Should have got some amens from some, some guys in the house right there. They were both naked and they felt no shame. Amen. Well, maybe, maybe you didn't understand it because I said naked. Uh, they're both naked. They were both naked, spelled with an E, naked, and they felt no shame. <laughs> oh, that's what they were. I was wondering what they were. What was going on? Naked. What's that? They were both naked and they felt no shame. There was no shame in the garden. There's no shame in the kingdom of God. Because God is the life source of that kingdom. See, they, they, they were both fully vulnerable with each other, and there was no shame. They were both fully seen by each other, and there was no shame. They were both fully known by each other, and there was no shame. But what happened, what had happened was, they decided to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now this is where I got, I, I got to stretch your brain a little bit. I figure if you come in on the Hurricane Sunday, uh, Tornado Watch Sunday, it's my, you might be ready to have your brain stretched a little bit. And I, I'm, I'm certain you can handle it because my kids handle it. They, they, they get the privilege of being born to a pastor in a pastor's home. And so they get these kinds of conversations. And the other day, a week and a half ago, we were walking into Costco. And one of the kids, I can't remember which one, but they asked uh, us the question. They said, they said, so in the new heaven and in the new earth, that's always, you might be a preacher, kids, <laughs> if you start off a question like that. They said, uh, in the new heaven and the new earth, we, 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 we won't feel any pain, right? 
And Roe and I said, yeah, that's right. The Bible says there will be no more pain. And they said, okay, well, will you be able to feel anything at all? Like, like if you don't feel sharp things, will you be able to feel smooth things and soft things and warm things and cold things? Like, and if so, how do, you, how do you feel good things without feeling bad things if, if we're talking about a range of feelings? They didn't use the word range of feelings, but they said, how do you feel good things without feeling bad things? And so they're, 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 they're great philosophers. They're really learning a lot. And so Roe said, that sounds like a dad question. You need, to, you need to sit down with dad. So Roe went off and did some grocery shopping. I sat down over some Costco pizza, which is really good, by the way. It's like 1,000, 2,000 calories per slice, but man, it's good stuff. And so we sat down, got some Costco pizza, and we talked about it. I said, look, you guys are asking a deep question going to get a deep answer. So for 45 minutes, I broke down three possibilities of how we're not going to feel pain. But um, I'll just tell you one of them, uh, the, 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 which, which is to me the, the biggest one. The reason why we won't feel any pain in the new heaven and the new earth is because there's nothing to cause pain in the new heaven and the new earth. Scripture tells us that after Adam sinned, that God cursed the ground and that there began to grow thorns and thistles is what scripture calls it. Thorns and sharp stuff. Like before sin came into the world, there were, it seems that there was no sharp stuff just naturally growing. There were fire ants, but they weren't called fire ants because they didn't bite you. You know what I'm saying? There were lions and lambs, but they didn't like try to eat each other, you know? So there was sharp stuff, but it wasn't used for violence. So one of the reasons why we won't see, because we, we think of the kingdom of God as the absence of results. We often think of the kingdom of God as the absence of results. There will be no more pain. Well, what is pain? Pain is the result of sin. Or we'll say there's, there will be no more sin. Well, what is sin? Sin is the result of unplugging from our power source and plugging into the knowledge of good and evil. That's why it's the very first sin. Because it is the, it is the, 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 the impregnated seed of sin. Adam and Eve didn't commit adultery, they didn't kill anybody, they didn't lie, they didn't cheat or steal or the various sins that we think of, which is why when Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he didn't address specific sins because he wasn't talking about repenting from a specific sin, he was talking about going all the way back to the originator of sin, which is this, this decision that they made. And, and, and so we have to talk about this decision because, because it's, it's really, really important to understanding what happened. See, when Adam and Eve were in the kingdom of God and they're in the garden, they were able to see um, differently than we see. And I was sharing this with the kids because they were also asking other questions that I was talking about, like, like our, our resurrected body. We don't know a lot about our resurrected body, but what we do know is what happened in the garden and then also Jesus' resurrect, re resurrected body and how that interacted with, with, with our current reality. But in the garden, they were able to see things. And we, we see this in Genesis chapter 2. If we put the verse back up there, I think it's verse 8, it says that there, was a, uh, there, there were two trees in the middle of the garden and they had certain fruit growing off of them. And the fruit growing off of the one tree was something called life. Well, like I asked my kids, what does life look like? Or the other one, knowledge, was growing off of the other tree. The knowledge of specifically good and evil. What does knowledge look like? Or what does knowledge taste like? And they kind of looked at me sort of like, you're looking at me like, I, is this a right or a wrong answer? Did we get multiple choice? Like, can I just pick B every time, you know? That's how I got through my ACTs. Uh, you know, it's like, what does knowledge look like? What does life look like? What does it taste like? There was something, and, and one, one of the things that messes us up about this story is the Bible says that there were trees. And we're like, oh, yeah, we know what trees are. All right, we've seen trees. I mean, if you live in Texas, you've seen pictures of trees. And, and you, like, you know, you've seen it, and, like, it's got these branches, and then out the end of the branches comes this little, like, apple, like a fruit, you know? There's, there, there's an apple. You can pick it off. You bite into it. It's juicy. You can taste it. It's good for, for, for giving you nutrients. But, but, but to say that, that, that life was growing off the end of a tree or knowledge was growing off the end of the tree is, is weird. That's odd. It's, like, metaphysical. It's spiritual. We're talking about spiritual things now. But what's interesting is Adam and Eve were able to see 
layers of dimensions to their reality that they saw, yes, the physical, but then they wrapped within and around the physical was this spiritual reality connected to it. And I would suggest to you that it never came unconnected, that the spiritual and the physical are still very much intertwined. We just can't see it. We don't perceive it. We don't understand it all the time. But sometimes you know it because sometimes you walk into a room and you'll just sense the tension. Nobody will say anything. Nobody will look in any certain way. You just pick up on a reality that is not necessarily visible like an apple is visible, but there's a reality to it. And so when Adam and Eve ate from the tree so it wasn't an apple right so you, you gotta you gotta throw out your memories of the flannel graph that you saw when you were a kid in church sunday school you know and there's like like eve who was never really naked uh there's eve well, i mean she actually was but in the story she's not she's always covered up by some leaves or something adam's always covered up keep it g-rated and uh they got you know they, they, they got this apple and it's almost like the apple was symbolic which also then makes people wonder, well, why God put that tree in the middle of the garden to begin with? You know, and so people think, oh, God's just up there testing us all the time. He's just, he's the kind of God that just wants to know if we're going to fail. Like, uh, let's see what they do with that tree, right? Those apples look pretty good. Let's see if they eat them. You know, and so we start to get this idea that God just likes to tempt people and likes to play with people's minds and likes to mess with them. And that's not what's happening at all. The truth is God had in the tree everything necessary for a full life, everything necessary for the kind of abundant life that he had planned for them. And part of that is knowledge. Knowledge is part of the abundant life that God has planned for us. Knowledge of even good and evil, it's fine. And God said, I don't want you to eat of that tree. I want you to eat of all this other tree. All these other trees, the, the tree of, I don't know, wisdom, uh, the tree of grace, the tree of uh, uh, patience, I don't know, the, the tree of uh, the fruit of the Spirit, actually. Maybe there was a tree with all these different fruits of the Spirit. I mean, we don't know the kinds of trees, the tree of pleasure, the tree of joy, the tree of peace, the, all these other trees. He says, man, you can, you, can, you can ingest all of this stuff. Just This is all my gifts to you. This is just for free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it in my kingdom. This is just the stuff that naturally starts growing. But there's this one thing in the middle that they really desired. It's called the knowledge of good and evil. Right next to it, it's interesting, was the tree of life. Now, they didn't need to eat from the tree of life because they were breathing in the breath of God every single day. The life breath of God, as they walked with him in the cool of the day, they had life. So they didn't need the tree. But it's almost like God put these two right side by side so that you could see that they were actually um, connected in some way. Their roots are probably pretty close to each other. And, and, and Adam and Eve came to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they decided not to eat from the tree of life, but rather to find their life source, their food, in knowledge. And this is why God said, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Not because God was going to kill them, but because they were going to unplug from what is life and plug into what is knowledge. Bob Hemp talks about this. He says it's like, it's like unplugging your laptop and, and instead of using the power cord, just using a USB cord and plugging that in. Uh, USB is, transfers data. Data is fine. Knowledge is fine. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. But if you're using that as your life source, it's just not life. It's not power. Knowledge, <laughs> despite what you've heard, is not power. It's, it's, not, it's not living and, and so when Adam and Eve chose to, to unplug from the life source of God and also, by the way, completely ignored this tree of life right next to them, they were saying, look, I am going to ingest knowledge. And as soon as they ingested this knowledge, I mean, it, 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 it went into their system. It covered their, their, their perception of the world so that immediately they looked at each other and noticed that they were naked and when they noticed that they were naked, they became ashamed. Now, why is it that they were naked before and not ashamed, and they're naked now and they are ashamed? What's the difference? It's knowledge. See, knowledge is, um, it's, 
it doesn't understand context. That's wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to take knowledge and apply it appropriately based on whatever context you're in. But knowledge doesn't understand context. So knowledge simply knows that um, it's not right, it's shameful to be naked in front of a bunch of people. You shouldn't, that there are some things you should cover up. And thankfully, you all got that memo today. Uh, I am thankful that, that, God, that God's put that knowledge inside of people. And they, yeah, they got the memo. Now, my kids are still learning that knowledge. We're still trying to teach them. <laughs> Cover up, put some underwear on, kid. Uh, because they live in a farm and they don't, they don't think about that. But anyway, so there is a season where you're so innocent that you don't think about that. But at a certain point, you do start realizing, I need to cover up. Well, that's fine. That's good. And you ought to when you're, you know, walking around downtown Austin, when you're at church, uh, when you're at the mall, you ought to cover up. But, but the problem is that knowledge doesn't understand context. So the very thing that's, that is a knowledge of good, something good that you ought to be doing in most contexts, actually is a bad thing to do in the context that they were in, that is the context of marriage. I find it so fascinating. This is why I preach about marriage so much, because when sin first came into the world, the very first thing it did is it split up the only married couple in the world. Immediately, the first thing that sin did is it started dividing the marriage. Why? Because they were both individually ashamed of this. They looked at themselves and they said, I... I need to hide. I need to cover up. I need to go to my corner and deal with my stuff. And so the very thing, which is good in a society that people would cover up, um, is very damaging in a marriage when you, when you can't be vulnerable with your spouse, when you can't be seen by your spouse, when you can't be loved by your spouse for who you are, when you feel that you have to cover up and be somebody else, that starts pulling marriages apart. It starts destroying the fabric of marriage because knowledge uh, is not the same thing as power. It's not the same thing as life because it doesn't understand context. And if you fast forward a couple thousand years to the time when Jesus came to earth, in uh, I think it's Luke chapter um, 6, Jesus is, is, is here and uh, he's, on, he's at church on the Sabbath and he's entering into a society that's, that's thousands of years down the line from Adam and Eve. This, this, this plugging into knowledge of good and evil has so infested and infected humanity that, that no matter what religion you subscribe to, it's all based on this idea of knowledge of good and evil. And honestly, the different religions throughout the world are just different ways of saying, hey, we have better knowledge over here. We have better knowledge. We, we, can, we, can, we, we have knowledge of good, right? You can learn something here. And when you learn this, your life will be different. And when you learn that, you'll be good. And then we have knowledge of evil, like this bad stuff that you've done, all that kind of thing. We have ways of dealing with that. And, 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 and even the very best religion, so to speak, the, the, the religion of Judaism that God himself had established, even those people had taken the, 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 the goodness of God, the grace of God, and had turned it into just another way to learn better and to do better. Because we are so, like, we have a lens over our heart that we're always looking for the knowledge of good and evil. And this happens even at City Chapel. I'll be preaching about the grace of God. I'll be preaching about, about connecting to the life source of Jesus. And immediately people will say things like, oh, yeah, yeah, I need to start doing da 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 da, da. Or I need to start thinking da 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 da, da. They'll, they'll think in terms of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, yeah, Pastor Harry's talking about some good thing that I need to incorporate into my life. We immediately move it from... From what it's supposed to be, which is this, 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 this life-altering and this, this source-changing, foundation-shifting relationship with Christ, we turn that into a new to-do list and a new to-don't list. And, and it's so easy because that's our perception. That's, that's what Adam and Eve plugged into. They plugged into the knowledge of good and evil. Ever since then, we've been hungry for knowledge, but dying on the inside. We've been hungry to learn more and do better. But the problem is all of our knowledge of good doesn't compensate for the knowledge of the evil that we are. 
And it just doesn't change anything. And so we end up arm wrestling with ourselves. Our knowledge of good and our knowledge of evil are constantly duking it out. And this is actually happening within this very church service. Jesus goes to church on the Sabbath. And so I've talked about the source and this is the shame. The shame of humanity is that we have plugged into our knowledge of good and evil and we are deriving our sense of truth from our knowledge of good and evil. We're deriving our life from our knowledge of good and evil. And we, we see this, Jesus comes, Jesus shows up to church and he's in the synagogue and he's teaching. And while he's teaching, there's a man whose right hand specifically was shriveled up. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were also there. They were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. This is crazy. Like different people come to church for different reasons. And there's one guy in the church service who actually isn't supposed to be there because you're not supposed to be in church if you had a deformity. And so, but it's his right hand, so he can, he can sort of tuck it underneath his cloak a little bit and, and, and shake his hand, shake, you know, use, use, use the Boy Scout handshake and say, God bless you, brother. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good today. Yeah, I'm doing good. And so he's here. Jesus knows that that guy is not living. Jesus knows that that guy has a deformity in his life and there's, there's, that life has not transferred to his arm. Jesus knows that guy is dying, that he's broken. But also the Pharisees know this. Man, it's interesting. People come to church for different reasons, right? This guy comes to church wondering if this is the day he's going to get healed. And some people come to church like that. And those are usually the people that end up walking out healed. It's true. And then the Pharisees come to church and they're there to critique. And they're there to see if everything's on point. They're there to make sure everybody's towing the line. They're there to make sure that everything's going the way that it's supposed to be going. And so they're looking at the calendar. This is the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to heal. Their knowledge of good and evil says the good thing to do on the Sabbath is to listen to the Torah and to, and to, and to meditate on God. The bad thing to do on the Sabbath is to do any work. And so they're looking at Jesus wondering if he's going to, if he's going to respond to their knowledge of good and evil. But what's crazy to me is that in the very room with them is a guy who is dying inside, whose hand is shriveled up, who is not whole, who is broken, and they're perfectly content for him to keep coming to church broken and not whole. They're okay with that. Just don't heal on the Sabbath. It's amazing what the knowledge, see the knowledge of good and evil doesn't have context. It doesn't have, con it doesn't have wisdom. It doesn't understand that even though this, this, this guy is following all the rules, man, he's broken inside. And religion will prop up people who are dying inside, but they're following all the rules. And then they will accuse people who are living inside and are breaking the rules. And so this is what the Pharisees did. Man, they're so bound by their knowledge of good and evil that they cannot bring the context of life and death into this situation. And Jesus sees this. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he, so he says to the man with the shriveled hand, he says, get up and stand in front of everyone. So Jesus calls him out, calls that guy forward. It has him you know, come forward and stand up next to him. And then Jesus asks the Pharisees a particular question. He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? What's he talking about? The knowledge of good and evil. Because he's been teaching all morning, probably about the kingdom of God, which is what he taught about all the time. He's been describing this kingdom, talking about this kingdom, talking about being plugged into a life source, talking about changing your belief system, moving that onto a place of life, plugging into life. And yet, while he's talking about this, the very people he's preaching to are operating in a system of death. They're living in a system of religion, which basically says, hey, as long as you hide that shriveled hand, like, you know, like he shouldn't, legally, the dude shouldn't even have been allowed into the church. So they're breaking their own rules because, well, he's acting right. You know, and he's here and he's tithing. <laughs> so... I don't know if he was tithing or not. That's just a modern sort of, you know, and so here he is, you know, he, he's friends with us on Facebook. He's doing the right things on the outside, 
Never mind the fact that his hand is shriveled up. Never mind the fact that he's not healed. Never mind the fact that he's not whole. He's not living in the kingdom of God because that's not really important. What's important is that you're doing the right thing in church. You're acting right. And this is what the knowledge of good and evil will do. It'll place such a high importance on how you act and such a low importance on who you are. And Jesus stands up in front of them. And he says, hey, hey, you, how about you, how about you come on up here and stand, stand up here next to me, everybody, so that they can see. Here is a guy who is acting right, but is broken. Here is a guy who is not acting right, but is whole. And he says, which do you think is best? Which is good or evil? He, he goes a little deeper on their version of good and evil. He says, is it best to, what does it say? To save life or to destroy it? See, they were actually destroying this guy by allowing him to think that he was good as long as he covered up. And what they were doing is they were propagating a culture of shame where you need to cover up. You can't be yourself. You can't really talk about your struggles. You can't really talk about what you're going through because everybody just needs to believe that you're doing really good, especially when you start serving. Definitely when you, when you're, when you become an usher, there's no way you can't talk about nothing. Like you gotta be like Jesus and everything is good and great with you because, because we're so focused on how you're acting because we really believe. They really believe that how you acted determined whether or not you were alive. Never mind the fact that they had lost their life, the feeling of aliveness a long time ago. All they had was this deadness. All they had was this brokenness. And Jesus says, which is right. And so he says to the man, he says, stretch forth your hand. Not, not your good one, uh, you, the one you've been hiding, the one, that, the one you've been covering up. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, you can be vulnerable. In the kingdom of God, you can be broken. In the kingdom of God, you can, you can be maimed and you can be shriveled up and you can be a mess. As long as you're willing to uncover that mess. As long as you're willing to present that mess to Jesus so that he can bring life into it. You can't, like, he can't heal it if you keep covering it up. And so he calls for the man to unveil and to reveal what, what the religious leaders knew was going on, but they were okay to keep covered up. He says, no, how about, how about you reveal that so that I can heal it, so that I can bring life into it. And that man enters into the kingdom of God because he's right next to the king. And the king of the kingdom says, actually, you've been, you've been looking to religion for your source and it hasn't helped you. You've been plugged into this knowledge of good and evil and you just put a different label on it. But look, you're still broken. Your hand still doesn't work. Death is still alive and well in your body and killing you slowly. But if you will, if you will release it, if you'll unveil it, if you'll come to me, I'll heal it. Jesus heals it because he is the solution. That's my third point. He is, he is the solution. The solution is not a better teaching, which is the danger of preaching, right? I'm preaching about the knowledge of good and evil, and I'm talking to your brains. <laughs> and you're thinking, okay, cool. I'm learning something new. I'm going to take this home. It's going to be awesome. Uh, well, yeah, kind of. But what I want you to learn is to unlearn your way of learning. I want you to learn a way to unlearn your way of learning that a fresh sermon or a fresh knowledge is not the breakthrough that you need. The breakthrough that you need is the presence of Jesus in your life. And that will produce vulnerability. That will produce uh, openness to him. That'll produce intimacy uh, between you and your spouse. That'll, that, that, that'll create discomfort in your life, but it, but it will ultimately bring healing and bring life to you when you, when you change the source of your truth. So we all have a truth that we believe, but it's the, the source is the issue. And in John uh, chapter four, Jesus comes across this very same issue. We have, uh, if we can put it up on the screen, Jesus is traveling. Um, and uh, if, if you read the previous passage, you see that Jesus actually was traveling all night through the desert to get to this particular place. Uh, it says that he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down by the well. It was about noon. 
When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And it's so fascinating. Jesus is the water of life and he's thirsty. Like the water of life got thirsty. How in the world water gets thirsty? I don't know, but he's there. He's wore out. I mean, Jesus sits down next to a well. It's almost like when he called that man up to stand next to him. He sits next, like the well of life sat next to a living well. And she came up to two wells that day. She came up to the well of life and the well of Jacob that had been there for a long time. And she came up to those two wells and she saw, she saw the well of Jacob as her source of, of life giving water right now. And she saw Jesus as a guy who, who couldn't even get his own drink. He was wore out, wasted. He looked like how she felt. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody like that. Like, wow, I think I'm holding it together better than they are, but they look how I feel. Like, you know, that's why memes became so popular because some of these people actually look like how I feel right now. Let me post this. Um, it's like, it's like she sees him and she's like, yeah, I know what that feels like. To be so tired, to be so thirsty and to be so close to the water, but you can't get it. Yeah, I know how that feels. Poor guy. Dude doesn't even have a bucket. <laughs> man, if he had a bucket, if he, just, if he just had a little more knowledge, man, if he just, if he just saw this sermon clip on YouTube, let me, let me share it with him. If he just got that, if he just, if he just understood that, I've had, I've had people say to me, usually the people, anyway, uh, I've had people say to me, man, I, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that sermon. They really needed it. I'm like, yeah, you were here and uh, you really needed it. So that's, that's pretty good. But no, it's because we, because, because we think that like what's missing is this little knowledge, is this little thing. Man, if he had just had a bucket, he could get into this well and bam, he would be taken care of. And she sees him and she, and she, she doesn't want to help him though because nobody's been helping her. And so she's like, well, that's the way life is. You, you, know, you either get your own bucket or you don't. Nobody's going to get water for you. And so Jesus says, would you give me some water? And she says, what are you doing asking me for a drink? Like, I'm not going to do that. And then Jesus' response to her is crazy. It's so compassionate. He doesn't say, yeah, well, next time you're thirsty, guess what? Yeah, yeah. you want it to rain around here? We'll see about that. Because <laughs> he controls that stuff. Jesus says in verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift, the freely given gift, if you knew the gift, you, all you know is judgment. All you know is kill or be killed. All you know is drink or, or don't drink. But if you knew the gift of God, the place he has for you in the kingdom, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You would have, and he would have. You would have asked, and he would have given. If you, if you, let's, let's talk about knowledge, lady. If you knew who I was. See, that's the deal. Like, the knowledge of good and evil, it's knowledge isn't the issue. It's the source of that knowledge. That knowledge is focused on what is good and what is evil. Then you become the, the regulator of your own impulses. And, and, and Jesus said, look, instead of knowing good or evil, if you knew me, if you knew life, that's the missing knowledge that you're, you're, you don't know me. If you knew who it was who's asking that from you, you would have asked from him and he would have given you. And then this long conversation proceeds. It's actually a very uh, prophetic conversation because John in his gospel, he loves to do this. Uh, but there's this really, really, really interesting conversation develops and uh, and, and she at first becomes quite offended, you know, that this guy with no bucket is telling her that he could have given her a drink, right? And because she's so defensive of her well, you will always be defensive of your source. Anybody attack that, anybody talk bad about that, you will, you will, uh, uh, no, no way, uh-uh. That's why politics is so explosive nowadays because people put so much faith in their politician and you're bashing their well, man. You're bashing their faith. She says, you, you, you think you're better than Jacob? Have you ever heard of the guy? He's pretty, 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 pretty important dude. 
kind of started the whole nation of Israel, sort of, kind of. I mean, you know, like he was sort of the main guy. He dug this well himself. It's been around for a long time. How long you been around? You know, like, what do you mean you have some other living water? There's no other well around here. You, you, don't, you don't know what you're talking about. You're, 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 you're making fun of something that has been here for so long. That's so consistent. I've been coming here every day. My parents came here every day. My grandparents came here every day. Where have you come from? Right? Because he's, 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 he's touching a sensitive subject when he says, I have other living water that you don't know about. And she says, no, no, no. This well is the only one around here. Because if there was another one, I would know about it. I'd be going to it. And then, and then Jesus continues to bash her, her, her source. He says, well, when you drink of this water, you, you get thirsty again. If you drink from the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. Now, this is, this is a woman who is there in the middle of the day because of shame, probably. Most believe that she went at a time when normally women wouldn't go to draw water because she didn't want to be seen by the other women of the town while she's drawing water because she'd been married so many times. Uh, to some of their exes and uh, she didn't want there was shame involved and so she comes in the middle of the day which is the hottest time of the day and she carries what would have been like a five gallon um, jar a, pot, a pottery jar not made from plastic not from Home Depot not with a handle uh, a jar of pottery that itself would be quite heavy and then she has to take it to the well and she has to strap it and tie it to the, to the rope and then lower it down. The well of Jacob, I think, is around 80 feet deep right now before you even hit water. That's why it's been around for so long because it's connected so deeply to the underground stream. Well, they believe it was even deeper at that time because 2,000 years adds a lot of dirt and it kind of gets higher. She has to lower that sucker like 80, 100 feet into the water and then pull a full five-gallon bucket up. So she's sweating, she's grunting, she's pulling, and Jesus is talking to her. Like, aren't you tired of having to work so hard for something that doesn't even really fulfill you? And he's not judging her. He's just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. The water I have, you don't have to hoist up 100 feet, 10 stories. You don't have to do that. The water I have for you you don't have to work for it. So finally she breaks down and she's like, okay, fine. You know what? <laughs> How would you give me some of that water? Okay, fine. I'm willing to admit maybe my well isn't exactly the greatest. Maybe this isn't really working for me at the level that I try to tell everybody else it's working for me. How about you get me some of that water? And so Jesus says, awesome. I'll give you some of that water, but first go call your husband. And once again, we think through the knowledge of good and evil that he's trying to shame her, but he's not. He's, he's, he's touching on her second well. Her first constant in her life was that this well of water will always be here and I will always be able to draw from it, even if I have to sneak to it at times because I'm so ashamed. But her second well, the well that fed not just her body, but the well that fed her, uh, her emotions, her spirit, her heart, her belief about herself. Well, she's fresh out of water in that one. She says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's true. You've had five and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. Kind of like this well, you keep coming back and it just isn't working for you, but you just keep going back to the same thing. And, and what, what he's doing is he's exposing her other well. And so she, at that moment, she says, man, I perceive that you're a prophet. You are, God is speaking to me through you. He's saying something to me. And so she is still stuck in the knowledge of good and evil. So she says, there's this thing I've always wanted to know. Most people think she's trying to change the subject. I don't think she is. This is the key um, theological argument between the Samaritans and the Jews that she brings up. She says, look, my, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You guys worship in Jerusalem. Where should we worship? Like I have this burning theological question because if I can learn that, then I'll be good. If I can get my doctrine right, I'll be good. And Jesus, I imagine Jesus just smiles at her. And he says, lady, the hour is coming and now is when the father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, in other words, like Jesus could have told her which mountain was better. He could probably tell you which church is better in South Austin, but he's probably not going to 
because it's not about the mountain and it's not about the church building. He says, the, the Father's seeking worshipers to worship in spirit, that's life. Like, I don't want you relying on your knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you finding the perfect church and being like, yes, all right, I finally found it and now I'm good. No, you, then you're relying on what you know and what you can know. Jesus said, no, this isn't, this isn't how this is gonna work. Life is gonna come to you because you understand that the Father, not you, the Father is seeking people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And it goes back to that initial statement. If you knew who I was, you would ask, and I would give to you. And so, Lord, whether folks are watching online, would you just pray with me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Even those watching online, join us in prayer, if you will. Father, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, open up the ears of our hearts, that we would hear the voice of Jesus calling us to something greater than church membership, to something greater than a fresh understanding of doctrine, something more important than uh, more correct theology, more accurate theology. And that is the person of Jesus, that we would know who Jesus is, and then that we would ask him to give us what we've been trying to get for ourselves, and that is life that we would derive our life from him, that we would derive our sense of truth from him, that his word, as Jesus said to Satan, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the breath of God is the life source of humanity and never changed. It always was the life source. So we must be close enough to you to, to breathe in the breath of God. We must be close enough to you to be filled with the spirit of God to become worshipers of God. Lord, help us to stretch out our hand, the, the one that is shriveled, the one that is broken. Help us to reveal our shame to the one who can take it away, who doesn't judge us based on our past, but who welcomes us with open arms into a, into a kingdom where everything is provided for us, for righteousness, for peace, and for joy in the Holy Spirit. It's already set up. The, the trees have already been planted. The place is already prepared. It's already got our name on it. We just need to step into it. Je, uh, Ma Matthew chapter five says, blessed, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you don't let rich people in. You let physically rich people, but spiritually rich people are not allowed in. Only those that are spiritually poor, destitute, without a lot, having just barely enough to survive today. Those are the people that you allow into your kingdom. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit. So Lord, help us to sell off all of our spiritual riches and become poor become dependent on you not so knowledgeable about everything dependent on you for our daily bread for our daily knowledge in Jesus name Amen